is A-M-E-M, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. From Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure friendly hotlines are open. 877 Dave 007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Day. I am just licking my chompers mm. prior to the commencement of Alpha Male Broadcast Pleasure Maneuvers. I decided I was going to take several bites of a beautiful juicy ribeye steak that I cooked on the grill this morning prior to coming to Command Center Alpha. Now, it is a little unusual that I will have steak that early, although it is 12.06 Eastern time, so it's never too early as far as I'm concerned. But normally I'll wait till after the show. But why did I purposely have some meat before we began broadcast pleasure maneuvers? Because I want to absolutely drive the climate change crisis kooks absolutely crazy. Long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure, long live the Alpha, make America great again, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, your global five-star general and Alpha male-in-chief, front and center from Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City, as always surrounded by fantastic cigars, exceptional refreshing spirits, and today, succulent Juicy, tasty steak, meat, beef, driving every vegan crazy. And for very good reason, because in just a few moments, I will tell you about the lunacy, the craziness, the absolute absolute wackadoodles as they spewed their enemy of meat climate change nonsense at the big CNN town hall meeting that went, I don't know, 48 hours nonstop. We'll get to that momentarily. But it is September, and that means two things. First up, the start of the National Football League season. If you watched Thursday evening, the kickoff to the 2019 season, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the National Football League, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Michelle Tafoya, dressed in garb from around 100 years ago, I'm sorry, they had these goofy press hats. Just didn't do it for me. Looked a little bit on the goofy side. But the actual game that was played between the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, oh, you betcha, set football offenses back 100 years, 10 to 3. Not an overly exciting game, but in the second hour for our annual NFL 2019 preview, our annual NFL preview in this this uh, today we'll be examining the 2019 season. Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com will be joining us from the Landry Lab in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. One of the great scouts and really 
analysts able to break down talent, football teams, college, pro. He's got 20-some-odd podcasts he does per week on uh, the pro game, on the college game. So Chris is heard on many radio stations, TV stations across the country. He will be joining us in the second hour. Also, later this hour, we'll be joined by Mick the Brit, colonel in charge of the European Theater of Operations, or as they say in the South, the European Theater of Operations. I want to talk about Bojo, the prime minister of... The U.K., Boris Johnson met with Mike Pence. A couple of funny items that took place during their little meeting, so we will examine that. First up, before we get into discussing the climate change kooks, Hurricane Dorian, a Category 5, absolutely devastated the Bahamas. It devastated Grand Bahama Island. It devastated uh, just huge swaths just of the northern portions of the archipelago of the Bahamas. Just absolutely incredible, the devastation. And it just sat there. And I know the stress it is undergoing a hurricane uh, just basically for, you know, preparations, just getting ready, getting the water. Last week, I went out, got water. I secured food supply, non-perishable food supplies, made sure I had plenty of dog food and batteries and everything else. So we go through it here in Florida. We are used to it, but it is still a very stressful time. But when you look at what happened on Abaco and Grand Bahama and just see the devastation and that they had to go through it for, what, 24 hours, 36 hours, nonstop, where do you begin with all the devastation? So Clearly, we have many listeners in the Bahamas. We have since we started the show, and our listeners before streaming days, they would listen to us out of uh, our affiliate in Miami and West Palm Beach. Many still listen. So our definite thoughts are with all those people. But what is interesting is private industry, private business, private citizens are going in with relief efforts as we speak. We saw that USAID, USAID, already began going over with relief. Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines said they were going to be starting with 10,000 meals a day that they were on their ships. They were going to be delivering to Grand Bahama and Abaco and upping it up to, I think, 20 or 30,000 meals a day. Carnival Cruise Lines, I believe, just announced a million-dollar donation uh, Disney, a million dollars. And speaking of Disney, how on earth do they let 90 of their employees on their private island that their cruise ships stop to for a day of R&R, how on earth do they not evacuate their employees? The excuse that they came up with was that the forecast called for the hurricane to go a little bit north and that it would only be tropical storm force winds, or at worst, like a Category 3, but that they were all secure because they have a Category 4 approved building with water, power, rations, so they were all secure. All the employees are secure. I'm sorry. Forecasts can change. They had 90 hours or 96 hours, 72 hours to evacuate. They knew this was coming. They knew the direction. If I'm the CEO of Disney, I bring in, Bob Iger, I bring in my executives that run the Disney Cruise Lines. I bring them into my office and say, 
What on earth were you thinking? To put our employees in harm's way is beyond unconscionable. And you have to wonder about the common sense and intelligence of many executives. Clearly, the Disney Cruise Line senior executives, the CEO who was named not that long ago, I want to say less than a year ago, not a very bright man, or whoever, whomever made the decision, but it really should be the CEO. If I'm the CEO, the first thing I say is, what are we doing, number one, to secure our employees, and number two, to secure our island? And then three, make sure all of our ships are out of the path of that hurricane. First thing I say is, get my employees out of there. Do you know the excuse that Disney gave? Well, it would have required a boat ferry trip and a plane trip. Disney, every quarter, drops to the bottom line, I don't know how many billions of dollars. You're telling me they can't afford to charter a... Uh, an aircraft that seats 100, 120 people to evacuate everybody from their private island in the Bahamas? You can't charter a few boats and ferries to get people off that island? Please. Absolutely pathetic. Unconscionable. But for all those people that are in, that were in harm's way, that are right now struggling, keep them in your thoughts. And I know that many cigar connoisseurs, in fact, I've already been approached by several companies wanting to do an event. So we're talking about, because this is not going to be an overnight fix. This is not going to be something that is repaired in a day, a week. The first priority is obviously to rescue anybody that needs rescuing, make sure they are uh, properly housed, they are properly fed, any medical care. And in fact, what's very interesting is the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard, immediately positioned helicopters and ships so that they would be able to get into the Bahamas and assist immediately. Now, I get a kick out of all these enemy of America Dems and libs and socialists that love to talk about the toxic masculinity of males in America. But I wonder, when our Coast Guard men of the armed forces, men of the Coast Guard, and there were some women as well, but predominantly men, when they were out flying in hazardous, risky conditions leading search efforts, trying to evacuate people from medical facilities that needed immediate medical care. I wonder, did their toxic masculinity, did that rise to the occasion? No, it was their alpha masculinity, not toxic masculinity. It was plain old alpha male masculinity, the same alpha male masculinity that was demonstrated during World War II. The same alpha male masculinity that has been on display in every single conflict the United States military has been in, or every rescue mission. Every time the world is in need, another country is in need, what's the first country to step up and say, we will send our people, we will send our resources, we will be front and center to help those in need? It's the United States of America, and I'm getting a little fed up with the AOC and the Ilhan Omars and all the enemy of America, Dems and Libs and Socialists, the hating Americans that say, oh, America's evil, America are colonial imperialists, they are conquerors. No. America, as it has done, it's essentially since its entire existence, when another person around the world is in need after a natural disaster, we answer the call. 
No ifs, ands, or buts. So the United States of America, we didn't have to send anybody. The, the British government, technically the Bahamas, still uh, has association to the British government. That is their responsibility. But out of humanitarian efforts, we came and assisted and are assisting. That is why we are proud to be American. That is why we never apologize for being American. And when I hear these enemies of America within the United States saying, we have no respect, we've lost all respect around the world under the current president, under President Donald Trump, other countries can't stand us, they despise us. Really? Other countries are the first when something happens, when the shoot hits the fan. The first call they make the United States of America. Help, help, please help us. We need the Americans. So I don't ever want to hear the squad, Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib or AOC or any of these other whack job enemies of America to criticize this country and say we're evil because we are not. Criticism of the way the country operates, sure, that's legitimate. No country's perfect. When there's a time of need, we are the first to answer the call. And by the way, on a personal note, two years ago during Hurricane Irma, I evacuated. I got uh, my canine companion, Sultan. Now we've got Sultan and Pendragon's Royal Baron, but I just had one at the time. I had Sultan. We got an Alpha Army one, and we evacuated to Charleston. I looked at the track of the storm. Initially, it was going to make a direct hit in Tampa Bay and then travel north, and then looked as though it could go to the northwest. So I had several areas. I looked at Atlanta, I looked at Nashville, uh, looked at New Orleans, but at, at Birmingham, but after looking at the map and the forecast track, said, okay, I'm going to go to Charleston, because Charleston should be east, shouldn't get anything. So I immediately departed for Charleston, and I've got to tell you, I stayed at a residence inn near the airport. They could not have been nicer. The people in Charleston could not have been nicer. The folks at the airport could not have been nicer. Everybody I came in contact with, and there were many people that evacuated from Florida, license plates all over the hotel. Every hotel was filled. But everywhere I went, people said, oh, did you, are you evacuating for the storm? I said, yes. They asked where I lived. I said, Florida. They couldn't have been nicer, more hospitable. Well, Charleston really got whacked. Kind of at the tail end, it got a lot of flooding, I think about a foot of flooding in the downtown historic district, a lot of wind damage, even in the suburbs, even by the airport where I stayed, which is higher ground. So to those people in South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia that have gotten hit, believe me, we empathize with what you are going through. It is a very stressful time. It is certainly not pleasant, and we uh, hope that you get life back to normal Quickly, we really dodged a bullet here in the United States. No ifs, ands, or buts. That track, it's almost as if there was a magnet pulling it away from the United States. But the folks in the Bahamas, they were not as lucky. And it will not take a year, five years. This is going to take decades to recover. So we will get with several of the cigar companies. I know I've gotten emails from people saying, General, are you going to do anything for those uh, people down in the Bahamas? Absolutely, we will work on that over the next few weeks. On, what was it, Tuesday or Wednesday evening? It already escapes me now. Uh, I think it was Wednesday evening. CNN conducted, to me, what felt like a 24-hour nonstop climate change forum because 
There is a major crisis, an existential threat. That's all we heard. We have got an existential threat. There is a crisis. If we don't do anything now, we're going to be gone. Meanwhile, I happen to look at quotes from many of these supposed climate change, what's the word I'm looking for, these climate change, uh, just basically uh, meteorologists and other supposed experts that wanted to sound an, a, a warning uh, alarm. Basically warning that if we don't, this is starting back in 1965 and 1970, we don't do anything in 10 years, the planet's going to burn up. But at the time, the planet was going to freeze. We're going to go into another pole. All the polar ice caps are going to come down to the U.S. and South America in the 70s, in the 80s. Then all of a sudden, when it wasn't freezing, oh, now we've got global warming. Then when that didn't work, now it's climate change. Never mind that there's no scientific evidence. But remember one thing from the Sololinsky Rules of Radicals. You must create a crisis to get everybody worked up. When you tell people that we are in a crisis mode and tell a lie often enough, people will believe it. Now remember, there are a lot of dumb lemmings in this country. The people that listen to this show are quite intelligent, far more intelligent than the average American. We're all educated. We are up to date on current events, on politics, on worldly affairs. We can have discussions over a multiple range of topics. We're not a homogenous group. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different professions, different education levels, but we are all highly intelligent. We can all make our own minds up. We can, we can listen to facts being presented to us and deduce from those facts what decision we should make on how we should live our lives, what activities we should partake and participate in. So when I saw this climate change, this, again, existential threat, we've got a crisis. Remember, Al Gore? The earth has got the flu. If we don't give the earth two Tylenol or two aspirin and call a doctor in the morning, we're going to burn up. It's like the flu. Yet, Al Gore still lives in multiple large homes burning more electricity, fossil fuels than anyone else in the country, still flies by private jet, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. No ifs, ands, or buts. But what I have a problem is when all of them want to dictate how we should all live our lives. That all of a sudden, if we use air conditioning, or we drive an SUV, or we grill meat on the grill, oh, we are contributing to global climate change. It's an existential threat. It's a crisis. How can you do this? It is just crazy. How on earth can you even think about this? So at this Democrat Climate Forum, that took place in New York. There were all, all the candidates were there. Kamala Harris, Bernard Sanders, everybody was there. Joe Biden, there was, uh, they were all there. I mean, you name it, Pete Buttigieg. I like saying it like Trump, Pete Buttigieg. And there was Amy Klobuchar, total zero, nothing going on there. And there was Robert Francis Betamail O'Rourke, Another nutcase. The guy talks with his hands. That's so irritating. You want to slap the guy. You absolutely, when you watch the TV, you want to just grab your hands, slap him, and take his hands and say, keep him to the side. Can you not speak without your hands flailing all over the place? Apparently he can't. So they went on and on and on. Now I'm going to wait. Sergeant Steve, I know I ran a little bit long on time, so I'm going to wait to play the sound bites. 
But I'm going to tell you that these people want to ban everything. In fact, you know what, Sergeant Steve? I think we have time to play the ban everything soundbite. So let's do that. I know it is uh, cut number two. Just to give you an idea that these enemies of pleasure, they want to ban everything. You name it, they want to ban it. Here's a little sample of what they want to ban. Would you support changing the dietary guidelines? The, the, yes. The, you know, the food pyramid. But people yes. Are, yes. To reduce and red meat specifically. Yes, I would. Do you ban plastic straws? I think we should. Yes. So would you ban offshore drilling? Yes. Just today, the Trump administration announced plans to overturn requirements on energy-saving light bulbs. Would you in reinstate those requirements? As uh, if you can get electricity from a light bulb that utilizes one-tenth of the power that an old incandescent light bulb used, of course you're going to do that. We have to take, the, take combustion engine vehicles off the road as rapidly as we can. Let's talk about offshore drilling for oil. Would you ban it? Yes. Would you ban offshore drilling? <laughs> Absolutely yes. We will transition off of fossil fuels, natural gas, coal, oil. What about the export of fossil fuels from the United States? Would you ban that? Absolutely. We must get to that point. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. I'm in favor of a carbon-free America. In my administration, we're not going to build any new nuclear power plants. We, 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 we should set out the rules for what kind of plant, you know, coal-burning plants. No one's going to build another coal-burning. We've got to shut the ones down we have. We're going to end factory farming because that is not only, that is a danger to the environment and to climate change. You know, there will be a transition. There will be a transition and, and, and there will be some pain there. We're all going to be in the dark. We're all going to stay home because we cannot have any transportation. We can't have straws. We can't have meat. We'll all be in the dark. Except, of course, those authoritarian legislators who tell us what we should do, how we should live. Yet, do as I say, not as I do. We will continue around the corner. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection for September is the Placencia Alma Del Campo. This complex smoke is creamy with a touch of spice. The Placencia Alma Del Campo has notes of coffee and nuts while leaving a lasting impression on your palate. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, 
quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, that is the CBS NFL theme. The NFL season kicked off Thursday, really gets underway tomorrow. Full slate of games, 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock Eastern time, and then the uh, game on NBC in prime time. And in our second hour, we'll be joined for the full hour with by Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, our NFL 2019 preview. Looking forward to talking football in the second hour. Mick the Brit joins us later on in this half hour. But I have just pulled out a special cigar to accompany a special libation. It is the start of National Bourbon Heritage Month. And here on the Cigar Dave Show, the entire month of September, we celebrate bourbon whiskey, and we celebrate American whiskey. Bourbon, as you know, is a quintessential American spirit. It must be produced in the United States, not necessarily in Kentucky, and must have at least 51% corn stored in new charred oak barrels. There are other requirements we will get into, but suffice it to say, every single bourbon is whiskey, but not every whiskey is a bourbon, but we will be enjoying some great American whiskeys and bourbon whiskeys throughout the month. But first, I've just pulled up from my humidor a very beautiful and incredibly aromatic cigar. It is the Drew Estate Kentucky Fire Cured. Now, why Kentucky? Well, we know most bourbon comes from the state of Kentucky. There are more barren, a burble, bourbon barrels being aged. I sound like Joe Biden there for a second. There are more bourbon barrels being aged in Kentucky than there are residents of Kentucky. Interesting little factoid you may not have known. So in honor of Kentucky and Kentucky bourbon, this Drew Estate Kentucky Fire Cured Cigar, what makes this cigar very unique is that there are two fire cured cigar tobacco leaves from Kentucky and Virginia. They are hung in specially constructed curing barns and they are imbibed with, it imbibes the leaf with a rich, smoky, slightly sweet flavor. You've got an incredible oily San Andreas Marron wrapper, beautiful Maduro. The Filler also includes Nicaraguan and Brazilian Matafina long fillers. Incredible cigar, reasonably priced. I pull out the Fat Molly, a Robusto, five inches in length with a 56 ring gauge or 56 64ths of an inch in diameter. About five and a half, six dollars suggested retail. Some nice smoky sweet flavors. I mean, I can just smell the smokiness as soon as I pulled it out of the humidor. A beautiful cigar. It was one of our Cigar Dave Officers Club selections a while back. A magnificent cigar that I will enjoy today. 
cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. We call this lighter from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories the CO2 Buster. Why? Because it emits tons of flame, massive amounts of carbon dioxide just to tick off the vegans, to tick off the climate change kooks and crazies. Oh, yeah. Listen to all that fuel being burned. Bernard Sanders would not be happy. Kamala Harris would not be happy. Lizzie Warren would not be happy. Pete Buttigieg would not be happy. All the Dems wouldn't be happy, and I couldn't be more thrilled. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut, as always. Let me toast the foot of this cigar. Now, this has four jet flames coming out of this CO2 massive tank. And we purposely set the engineers, the guys in their white lab coats with the pocket protectors, they purposely made the initial setting so high as to burn as much fuel as possible. And this thing is hot. This is like a welder's torch. So I'm going to toast the foot of my Kentucky fire-cured Drew Estate. Great aromas. Let me puff and rotate. Great draw, great taste. Mm. Wow. Massive flavor. Unique. One thing about Jonathan Drew and Drew Estate, they're not afraid to go outside the box, to be creative. That's what they built their company on, creativity. And this Kentucky Fire Cured is certainly very creative. Great cigar. Now I need something to accompaniment on this very important National Bourbon Heritage Month. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, we go from Kentucky with my cigar down to Tennessee for some great Tennessee whiskey. About four or five years ago, I was privileged to spend several days at the Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And I spent a day with Jeff Arnett, the master distiller of Jack Daniels. He doesn't do that with anybody. Normally, he'll spend a little bit of time the whole day. We went to the various barrel houses we went through the process of distilling Jack Daniels. We selected various barrels from different rickhouses in various areas. Started with about 35 different single barrels to taste. Narrowed it down to about six, then to three, and then down to one. And it became the Jack Daniels single barrel select, specially selected for certified alpha males by Cigar Day of the General, yours truly. I've got a, actually... One and about, I would say, one and an eighth bottle or a sixteenth bottle left. I'm going to open this. Incredible aroma. We specifically picked this barrel because it had some very unique flavors, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of oakiness. It is barrel number 15-4880. This was bottled on September 3rd. 2015, so just about four years, just over four years ago, four years and a couple of days. So this was available exclusively in Florida at about uh, 10, 12. Initially, it was going to be slated for about 20, 24 ABC wine and liquor stores. We did an event at one in 
Tampa at their flagship store in the South Tampa area. And I think we sold through about 60% of the inventory. I think it made it to two other stores and it was sold out. And uh, you could actually even get the bottle engraved. It was very cool. So let me take a sip of this. And I think it was about 45 bucks a barrel. Or correction, 45 to $50 a bottle. Let me say cheers. Wow. Incredible sweetness. Vanilla. Little maple on the nose. Mmm. Some nice warmth. Little sizzle on the tongue. Definite vanilla. Little citrus, little orange peel. Mmm. Fantastic. And to be Tennessee whiskey, it must be charcoal filtered. An additional filtering process that they don't do in Kentucky, whereby the whiskey, as it comes out of, before it goes into the barrel, the whiskey is, actually, it is after it goes out of the barrel. So it comes out of the barrel, and then what happens is it goes through big charcoal vats, and the corns, the oils bleed off. So you get incredible smoothness and sweetness, and the Gentleman Jack does that twice. Fantastic. So I've got my Drew Estate Kentucky Fire Cured Cigar, perfect accompaniment with my Jack Daniels Single Barrel Select that I specifically selected four years ago. All right. Before we get to Mick the Brit in the uh, next segment, I want to go back to the CNN Town Hall. Now, they are banning everything. Now, I told you way back, the enemies of pleasure would not stop at cigars. I've been preaching this. I've been telling you this. I said they're not going to stop at cigars. They're going to make it not only so difficult for us to buy cigars, we'll have de facto prohibition. We're already seeing it. And I said when they're done with cigars, they'll find another target. What was the next target? Soda. Then after that, they were going to come after straws and plastic bags. And now enemies of steak, EOSs, EOMs, enemies of meat. Why? Because they say that the cows across the globe contribute 15% of CO2 emissions because of the cow flatulence and the CO2 emissions and all the other nonsense. Now, never mind, all these candidates are saying we need to get to zero emissions in the United States in the next 10 years or we're going to be in trouble. If we eliminated every CO2 emission in this, man-made CO2 emission in this country today, it would have a negligible effect. It would be literally 0.00001 effect of any carbon dioxide emissions, any CO2 emissions. It wouldn't contribute to the climate change in any way, shape, or form. And by the way, how come we had hurricanes that were of incredible magnitude in the late 1800s, early 1900s, before there were cars on the road and there was the industrialized civilization we live in today. China and India are the biggest polluters and emitters of carbon, CO2, carbon dioxide in the country, or in the world. Was it carbon monoxide? Whatever it is, CO2, in the world, not a country, in the world. And China, under the Paris Accords that they all talk about and rave about, would have 10 years to do whatever they want. They don't have to come into compliance for at least 10 years. They can spew as much emissions as they want. This is a manufactured, nonsensical problem. Do we all want to breathe clean air? Sure, absolutely. But the banning of meat, this is nothing more than an authoritarian takeaway of our rights 
to decide what we want to eat, how we want to live our lives. It is nothing more than authoritarian rule. Remember, all these Democrats want to create a crisis, got a crisis, an existential threat, and everybody believes it. And everybody therefore says, great, I'm willing to solve the crisis, this existential threat, by handing over control of my life to you, you government officials, you small number of bureaucrats or large number of bureaucrats. I will be a dumb lemming. I will do whatever you say. And I will pay more taxes. Why? Because it is not only just an authoritarian power grab, it is also a wealth transfer grab. That's it. But I've never seen Democrat candidates absolutely rolling over like dead dogs as I did on Wednesday evening. Perfect example, Kamala Harris. A question was asked by an attorney by the name of Caroline Corson. She is from France originally, I believe. Asking Kamala Harris if she would change the dietary guidelines. That is code for banning meat. Let's listen to the question. Um, certain countries have changed the dietary guidelines uh, to reduce the consumption of red meat uh, in light of the impact of, of the climate change. Yeah. Uh, if elected, uh, are you, will you be supporting uh, change uh, in dietary guidelines? And then how will you plan on implementing the changes so that people effectively change their diets? Let me just tell you right now what that is code for. When she asked, would you change the dietary guidelines? What she really meant to say is, are you willing to ban meat? That's all she's asking. Now remember, there are all these people that are saying, under the guise of climate change and this crisis, that we need to reduce the amount of meat. This is nothing more than vegans and the PETA crazy whack jobs essentially telling you what you may and may not eat. They are transferring their personal lifestyle choices to you. They're dictating them to you. Now, instead of Kamala Harris just saying, no, I don't believe that. I think we should people should be allowed to eat what they want. Listen to the roundabout answer and how she goes. She can't answer it directly, but roundabout. There's about 50 directions she goes in, but she does reveal something very interesting. Hit it. Yeah, I mean, it's and thank you, Carol, for your work and the question. Um, there is... I, I think of the, the point that you're raising in, the, in, in a broader context, which is that as a nation, we actually have to have a real priority at the highest level of government around what we eat and in terms of healthy eating, because we have a problem in America. Um, and we can talk about all that we are now the subject of this conversation. We can talk about um, the amount of sugar in everything. We can talk, we can talk about soda. We could go on and on. Aha, sugar, soda. Now, look, I personally cut sugar out of my diet. I have not uh, personally consumed any soda. Now, I do have some soda that uses uh, stevia, but I do not use anything with NutraSweet or Equal or saccharin or anything else. Cut it all out three years ago. Water, lemon water, uh, sparkling waters, I cut it all out. But that was my decision. I don't need the government to tell me that. I made that decision. But I get a kick out of her saying that we could go on and on. We could talk about soda. We could talk about sugar. And she does go on and on. She wants to get the government involved. Take a listen. Um, but I'll also say this. We, the, the balance that we have to strike here 
frankly, is about what government can and should do around creating incentives and then banning certain behaviors. I mean, just to be very honest with you, I love cheeseburgers from time to time, right? I mean, I, I, I just do. Ah, so she loves cheeseburgers. Notice how she, the way she says it is almost apologetically. Look, I love cheeseburgers, I just do. So what she says is that the government should create incentives rather than banning. No, 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 no. The government incentives are going to be, we're going to tax whatever product we don't want you to eat or consume. That's their incentive. Now, she'll say, oh, I love cheeseburgers. I just do. They all say that. Oh, look, I love, like Bernie Sanders. Look, I, I do love meat. He said it. He said, I, I do love meat. So what they're going to do is ban meat for everyone else, but not ban it for themselves. And, yeah. and I think that, um, and, but there is, but there has to be also what we do in terms of creating incentives that we will eat in a healthy way, that we will encourage moderation, and that we will be educated about the effect of our eating habits on our environment. And we have to do a much better job of that, and the government has to do a much better job of that. No, we don't need government doing a much better job. We need government out of the picture. Remember, this is the same government that told Americans, dump butter, butter's bad for you, butter has fat, go to margarine, much safer. Margarine loaded with trans fat, re responsible for more cardiac uh, coronary artery disease than butter ever did. They're the ones that came up with this food pyramid. Lots of carbohydrates, lots of, uh, 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 of, of, of sugar, lots of this and that. Forget it. I don't want the government in my, in my pantry. I don't want them in my refrigerator. I certainly don't want them in my grill. And I'll keep eating burgers. I'll keep eating meat. She'll keep eating meat, but she doesn't want you and I to do it. Continue. So, I mean, I'm just saying you love cheeseburgers. I mean, we all do. I don't know I whether mean, you, you know, from time to try time, the Beyond Burger, day, the Impossible yes. Burger, right? They try, but it, <laughs> right. it's not quite the same. That's my personal opinion. Um, but would but, you support changing the dietary guidelines? The, the, yes. The, you know, the food pyramid. But people yes. Are, the, yes. To reduce and, red meat specifically. Yes, I would. There you go. She wants to ban it. Bingo. But she'll still eat it, and all the other bureaucrats and all the other authoritarian government officials will eat it. But remember, they're taking the power and decision-making away from you. And by the way, if the climate, the, the, this existential threat that we need to do something immediately or the earth is going to, is going to overheat and the, the, the uh, oceans are going to rise and sea levels are going to impact, they're going to wipe out the coast, then answer me this. Why did or why is Barack Obama purchasing a waterfront, oceanfront home on Martha's Vineyard, which, by the way, is like three feet above sea level? If he was so worried about climate change, then I can tell you one thing. He would not be buying that house, but he is. Again, do as I say, not as I do. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. 
At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The selections in the Cigar Dave Officers Club receive rave reviews from our members. And for good reason. We send out fantastic cigars, the latest and greatest to our members, new cigars, unique cigars, incredible vertical samplers of cigars, and we have a great selection for September 2019. We are featuring the Placencia Alma del Campo. It is a beautiful Nicaraguan puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, filler, and binder. The wrapper is a beautiful milk chocolatey brown wrapper with some nice notes of cocoa, cedar, some beautiful notes of coffee. Your taste buds will absolutely love the Placencia Alma del Campo. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars every month. Three great cigars like the Placencia Alma del Campo sent directly to you. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join my Officers Club and enjoy great cigars. Let's ban everything. Let's ban fossil fuels. Let's ban fracking. Let's ban nuclear. Let's ban coal. Let's ban natural gas. Let's ban meat. Let's ban straws. Let's ban the whole planet and we'll solve the climate change crisis. Baloney. Nothing more than an authoritarian power grab. But let's all hold hands. Sing kumbaya and we'll solve the problem. I want, to listen, I want you to listen to this question. This is a, a 27-year-old student by the name of Isaac Larkin. I think he's a, uh, a Ph.D. student, I want to say Northwestern, I think in the Midwest. Now, this CNN climate change debate occurred in New York. So I'm wondering how this guy got there. Did he walk? Did he bicycle? Did he fly on an airplane? Because uh, chances are the method of transportation used fossil fuel. But listen to this anger this kid has as he asked Joe Biden a question. Hit it. Senator Biden. I'm 27 years old. Half of all greenhouse gas emissions ever generated by the entire history of human civilization have been released in my lifetime. This despite the now well-documented fact that 40 years ago, scientists at Exxon and Shell knew and reported to their bosses that burning fossil fuels was warming the planet and would destabilize the climate. Fossil fuel corporations, their executives, their trade and industry organizations, and their think tank front groups have waged a decades-long campaign of lying to the public about the science, and it has brought us to a crisis that threatens the entire human race. He goes on to tell the, say that fossil fuel executives committed crimes against humanity. This is what we are dealing with, these people that are brainwashed, and to compare climate change to crimes against humanity, what Adolf Hitler did, the Nazis did, 
please. Total stretch. And Biden goes on to say, yeah, we got to get rid of fossil fuels. Got to get rid of uh, fossil burning cars. It is ridiculous. We can get rid of every car, replace it with electric. How are you going to charge them? You need more electric power stations. Doesn't work. NFL football preview with Chris Landry is next. This is AMEM, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. College football has started. The National Football League I loosely say started two nights ago. A great time of year. The weather starts to get a little cooler, although you'd never know it here in the Cigar City of Tampa. Hot, humid, very sticky. But you can feel autumn in the air. You can smell it. You can taste it. You can hear it. Football is back. We have done our college football preview with the great Lee Corso of ESPN, and we have a great guest that will join us in this hour, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com as we review all the various changes in the National Football League. A lot of coaching changes. We'll look at player changes. We will break it down for you. So whatever your favorite team may be, you will know exactly where they are positioned for the start of the 2019 NFL season. And it is a pleasure to welcome Chris Landry joining us from the Landry Lab somewhere in the bayou of Louisiana, who scouts NFL, college, glued to umpteen TVs, breaks it down probably better than anyone else. Chris, great to have you on once again this year. Dave, good to be with you and, uh, you know, talking with you. And I know it's football season now, so I'm really excited to be with you. Chris, let me ask you, you know, you're always, you've been a scout. I want to go over your background a little bit, but what do you do in the off season? Just still stay in the Landry Lab and just <laughs> review tape nonstop. Yeah, yeah. They're really. I'm, I'm laughing because there is there is no off season. Uh, once the playing portion of the season is over, um, it's nonstop because uh, you know at LandryFootball.com we break down obviously the college game, the pro game. So there's college recruiting going on. As you know, as the season goes on, just like the it mimics really what NFL teams and college programs do. So if you think about it, uh, once the season is over, everyone's getting ready to make decisions in the NFL game about free agency, the draft. And so all of that, and, and again, in the college level, it's recruiting and spring practice. So it's it's probably even busier, let's say, February, March, April, in terms of a lot of different things involving the player procurement part of football, college and NFL. So it's, it's it, because there's so much movement, keeping track, 
and uh, analyzing how the fit is or not uh, not a good fit. Uh, you know, all those course, coaching moves that take place, as you know, in, in college from like December and January, that's big. And then so I always say that is a busy time because it's kind of trying to take, uh, you know, you, you spill a, a pill bottle of vitamins and you try to put them all back and figure out where they all are and put it all together. And then obviously after the draft is over May, June and July, it's really getting ready for the football season, kind of assessing everything because, as you know, the movement of players continues um, so that it, it, you're not really fully uh, settled in terms of where everybody's landed until about May. And then you really uh, we, we spend a lot of time breaking down, getting ready for the season. I go back and look at film from last year to make sure that all my film grade notes are where they need to be so that when the football season starts right now, I can just focus, you know, you know, head on forward for this football season so it is it is 12 months seven days a week well you began your career as an assist, a student assistant at LSU in the mid 80s and eventually you worked up to a full-time position and you were hired in 1992 by a one Bill Belichick with the Cleveland Browns and there was an interesting article in Sports Illustrated that I went back to that was published about a year ago talking about the association the close association between Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and Saban was Belichick's defensive coordinator but the number of big names that developed under Bill Belichick Cleveland and Berea, Ohio at their training facility you, Kirk Ferenz, uh, I mean, just the names go on and on and on of uh, people that, that are in college that are in pro today. I think um, I could probably speak for everyone, safely say, because I know all those guys that uh, they owe an awful lot. We all owe an awful lot to Bill Belichick and what we learned under him. And, you know, when you're in the, in the, 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 the bowels of working – uh, day in and day out, you, you could not have thought, well, this is what's going to happen 20 years from now. And things grew. I spent a you know relatively short time under him before I moved on and ran the scouting combine. But obviously, I main, maintain an association, still have one with him that kind of has come full circle because then I went on to to um, to Houston to run the Oilers scouting department, then Tennessee when we moved there. But it, it, we all learned an awful lot. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't sure. I, I you know, uh, got hired at a lower level position uh, in, uh, in Cleveland initially. And uh, the interview was something, you know, normally think about this. If you want to put it in perspective, detail of Bill Belichick is how many CEOs of a company is going to sit there and spend seven hours interviewing maybe somebody that's working, uh, what would be the equivalent working in the mail room or something, you know, an intern that that's, that's what I went through. Now, as I learned, I ended up getting hired for a different position when I got there because he immediately kind of decided to put me at another spot working in quality control under him in coaching and in scouting. But that, that gives you the idea of no stone unturned. He won't do anything that uh, that he doesn't ask his people involved, and that's why he's produced so many good people because he trains coaches and I think personnel people. I think scouting is what he does the best. His evaluation of talent is even better than his coaching. I, I think all of us that have been kind of touched by him, it is 
we owe a debt of gratitude. I can still vision envision today. I know it's been a while, but it seems like yesterday to me. I'm sitting there at this you know table in the in a staff room, and he's there to the right at the head of the table, and right across from me, directly across, is Nick Saban. And I often you know think, hmm. Well, how lucky do I have to be to probably, when you look at it, the greatest pro football coach and the greatest college football coach ever right there. I mean, just to be a witness to that. And I came from Bill Orangeparker, who was, you know, Don Shula's great defensive coordinator who invented the 3-4 defense. So I've been really blessed, and um, it's certainly not not me, but being around some of the people I've been that's just helped me to – kind of move on and, and go into the direction that I've gone. Great Bill Arnsparger story. I was uh, at a uh, – I'm trying to remember where I was. I was at a – I think it was a college football game. It was Syracuse because uh, I went to Syracuse, and I believe at the time Arnsparger was with Florida. And so I am waiting in the concession area for something, and I turn around, and Bill Arnsparger is behind me. The guy was in a coat. You know, he had the Florida colors. And I turned around. I said, Bill Arnsparger, what are you doing in line? He said, same thing you're doing in line, waiting to get a soda. And I <laughs> chit-chatted with him and, and mentioned I was a Bills fan. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, we played Bills, you know, because, again, with Don Shula, and they just cleaned the Bills clocks for a long, long time until the 80s. But it's amazing when you look back. You, you mentioned, uh, Chris, that you were hired as a low, in a low-level position at Cleveland. Let me tell you some of the other guys that were hired in low-level positions <laughs> who have now pretty well-known. Scott uh, Pioli, Mike Tannenbaum, yep. Jim Schwartz, Kirk Ferenz, Thomas Dimitrov, uh, Eric Mangini, Phil Savage, yep. Mike Lombardi. There's just a list of uh, Ozzie Newsome. Tons That's and tons great. of names. And what's interesting is uh, people said as good of a coach as Bill Belichick was, his father – was if he had the chance to be a head coach, probably would have been a better uh, head coach because he was really revered in college football and around uh, football circles, both pro and college. Ba- yeah. Spent many years at Navy. Yeah, uh, Coach Belichick, Steve Belichick, uh, spent a lot of time with us in Cleveland, and I got to know him and pick his brain a little bit. He would when I first when I first got there, he was actually doing some initial work, scouting work. Uh, for the staff. And, um, you know, I guess Bill had, you know, just tapped into him. I don't think he, I mean, he didn't hire him and didn't pay. He just, he offered some advice and, and having, you know, particularly over, we didn't, we didn't have sit down dinners. You were, you ate while you worked, but, but there were, there were times where he was able to, I was able to pick his brain. What a, what a brilliant, brilliant football coach he was. And he actually settled in at the Navy um, because he wanted some stability for young Bill and his wife um, he could have moved on and had plenty of job offers, but you know how the coaching profession was. He moved around and around and around. In fact, when um, Coach Belichick and, and his wife had Bill, uh, he was an assistant at Vanderbilt, which at the time was a great football program. And uh, Bill was actually born in Nashville. He didn't spend any time there. That staff got let go, and so that's where he ended up moving to Navy, and he settled in, and that's where Bill learned. And Bill would uh, go in and, um, you know, with his dad and watch film, and his dad kind of showed him what to do. And he actually, Bill was throwing footballs with Roger Stallback in practice in Navy at the day. So, uh, yeah, he grew up around the game. And, uh, yeah, and all those guys that you mentioned, many of them um, were office mates <laughs> of mine. That's so. right. Yeah, it was an interesting group, and I I love to sit there and tell you, oh yeah, I knew all the this guy would be here, this guy would be, 
you, you didn't know. You just everybody was just trying to make it and survive to be back tomorrow. There you go. Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com joins us from the Landry Lab in or you're in Baton Rouge, aren't you? Baton Rouge, yes, sir. Baton Rouge. You know, one of my favorite coaches, again, I mentioned that I went to Syracuse, uh, Ed Orgeron. You know, Ed uh, was kind of out of football, had some issues uh, after Miami, and the Mm -hmm. guy that threw him a lifeline was Paul Pasqualoni and brought him in, I believe, as the defensive line coach. He was at Syracuse, I want to say, three, four years. He was. And really did a great (laughs) job. That's when... Syracuse is really uh, a top 10, top 15 program, and I think Dino Babers is doing a good job bringing it back. But Ed was talked about being possibly the head coach at Syracuse a um, number of years ago after they got rid of Scott Schaefer, and I would have loved it because he was a – you know, I'd see him around campus. He was just a very outgoing, charismatic guy, and he said, you know, Syracuse, I've got a very soft spot in my heart for Syracuse, and I think he's a great coach. He gets a lot of, you know, heat. LSU's not an easy place to coach, but I thought he should have gotten the USC job, but to me he's one of the better coaches uh, in, in college football. Well, here's an interesting story because Ed was on Les Miles' staff. He wasn't the head coach at the time when the Syracuse job came open. And uh, he did uh, like Paul Pascaloni a lot. He learned a lot from recruiting from Paul Pascaloni. So when the job came open, Ed wanted the job. In fact, we talked about it. And he asked you, you know, and uh, I'm going to do my best, Ed. You know anybody you can call? You know, and I, cause I knew, <laughs> knew the idea, and I called, and then uh, – so anyway, um, I did make a couple of calls, and I found out they were going to hire uh, the Bowling Green coach, Dino Babers. <laughs> so I said, right. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at Ed, not getting it, but this is funny. So I called, I called Ed, and I said, um, yeah, look, I did, and you know, where are you? And I think they got your stuff, you know, but I think they got the, their guy. I said, I think they're going to go with Dino Babers or, or Bowling Green. Oh, who? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, who that? You know, was, he literally said, "Who that?" I said, "Yeah, well, he's really good." And, you know, I told him he didn't he didn't know, but no, Ed's a really good guy. And you know, in retrospect, uh, it's funny how things work out, don't they? Because yeah, he would have loved the USC job. He would have loved the chance to maybe go back to Syracuse. And then, as things work out, you know, right. he ends up at LSU, where it is. You know, Ed went to LSU. And he stayed at LSU for about two weeks as a player. And he he's when I tell you he's from a small town in the Hicks, I mean, you can't you look north, south, east, and west, and you you can't see land. I mean, it is near, near the it's the place that when you say, uh, and this is not a not a nice time to say this, as we've seen Hurricane Dorian do her damage and and everything. We all, like you guys are in, in, in Florida, are well aware of the storms that come in. When when sure. they come out of the Gulf and they come towards Louisiana, where, where Ed is from, those folks leave first because, I mean, that's like they – That's they where it's are, coming. That's exactly it. But, you know, somebody that uh, – and he went up northwestern Louisiana and a little bit north and to play. And But this was a dream for him. And for years he wanted to get back as an assistant – did and things fell on and ironically the team he's playing this week lsu tried to hire jimbo fisher from florida state a couple of times and the guy they went after when jimbo turned him down was tom herman of texas right and tom herman you know basically used the the offer as leverage because the texas job came open when they fired charlie strong and who plays this week but 
Ed bringing LSU into Austin to play Tom Herman in Texas. So it's funny how life comes full circle. But Ed couldn't be happier um, at LSU. He is home. And as the folks in Louisiana say, they finally have a head coach who doesn't have an accent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what, he's got a great personality, and I really thought he should have gotten – he did a great job at the USC, and I thought he got shafted. And as it turned out – they made a uh, not-so-great of a hire, and, and I think Orgeron would have been a great coach. Well, let's look at the National Football League. Two nights ago, the NFL kicked off its 100th season, and appropriately, Chicago and Green Bay played, and they set the NFL back 100 years in terms of <laughs> offensive play. It was, uh, it was quite a – I thought it was just not an exciting game. If you love defense, that's great. And clearly, Green Bay has improved. Mike Pettin, they brought in four or five key players. Big change there. I just am not sold on Chicago. I thought they had a great season last year, but I'm just not sold on their quarterback. I just don't think that uh, he's the guy. Yeah, I tell you, um, I think people have concerns about it. He did not play well again. And, you know, people have been asked this morning, hey, was it a good defense or bad offense? And it's always a combination of both. I thought defensively both teams had a good game plan, but Mitchell Trubisky missed a lot of throws on a high on a lot of throws. It just, yeah, you look at it, and, and it is, they've got a roster. They've got the ability to run the football. They've got the ability defensively to be in the race, but, I, I'm with you. I think the quarterback's going to hold them back, and it's it's going to be um, what maybe keeps them out of going a real deep uh, into the playoffs. Now, you'll see them improve to some degree, but, you know, it was a combination of a few things. Um, I, let, let me say this. As a whole, I think, and this is kind of a warning for Sunday and Monday for everybody out there, because uh, folks who sit there and watch their favorite team may not get a good feel for it, I got a feeling what we saw is going to be duplicated quite a bit. Not every game. Dave, the the way preseason has been handled, none of these starters, very few of these starters, I should say, played at all. This is preseason football. So how much of that last night was rust? How much of that's just a problem? Well, we're not going to know. It's going to take a quarter of the season. And some teams may be a little bit sharper than others, but we see a lot of things that just – you know, that that are probably going to be tough to explain in the NFL for week four. You know, not only is maybe some of the tackling may be poor, but offensively, I think we're going to see more of that because the one thing we used to see in preseason, you see a lot of skill position guys on offense play, not so much this year, and I thought it showed last night. No question about it. And, and uh, Chris, that brings us into looking at the preseason. I really think it's time to scrap the preseason. Let's go with maybe two more regular season games. Let's get what I know my Bills practice with uh, the Carolina Panthers for, I think, three days before their preseason game. A number of teams are doing joint uh, scrimmages and joint practices. I think that's a better way to go because – Really, we saw nobody, no, none of the starters get played the last really two weeks or so. And why does it, and the, the stadiums were empty. People aren't watching the games. Go to two more regular season games. It'll make more money for the players, more money for the, the league in general. And people don't have to watch the garbage preseason. Well, you know, really, the the owners are should be ashamed of themselves for charging fans that part of their season ticket package. The games should be, you know, 
very, very cheap. And maybe people who, you know, maybe a chance to bring kids to the games. I mean, who, who can bring, you know, three or four kids to a regular season NFL game? I mean, it's so darn expensive. What an opportunity you could, if you, if you held on to the preseason games, you could do it at a cheaper price and maybe play some games in neutral sites that maybe, you, you know, don't get a chance to see pro football. Uh, I think that when they take a couple of games away, probably what you're going to see is more scrimmages, as you've kind of alluded to, which you can get your work done. Here's the thing, though. It's going to have to be collectively bargained because um, it is going to bring about um, uh, more of a restructuring of, uh, you know, the, the money's going to be greater. You're going to get more money. you got two more regular season games, more money from TV. So that needs to be split. And uh, that I don't think the players are going to want it because here's the thing about adding two more regular season games. They preach out of one side of them out safety, 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 right. safety. And then we're going to add two more games. And oh, by the way, yeah, we, we still play the Thursday night games, which to me, I think the bigger issue with the league, if they were smart, they would make the NFL season a 20 week season. Not 18 games, 16 games, but 20 weeks. Have multiple buys. You're going to play a Thursday night game. It's always coming off of a buy. It extends the season a couple more weeks. So you still could get more money from the networks because they have two more weekends of football, actually like four. So you can get more money of it. Now you would have more buys in, in the middle of the season, but you could do that. That's what I would like to see it would be a little bit of a problem with the direct TV commitment because then you'd have a lot of, you'd have more weekends where not all the teams are playing. And so that package would maybe take a little bit of a hit, but if you looked at it, you could still make more money financially uh, and you would be a little safer and you would have a longer season. You'd have a couple of weeks where your favorite team wouldn't be playing. They'd be on buys, but um, that would be something I would consider playing 18 games when I think 16 is pushing it is not something I'm in favor of, but Follow the money, Dave, and when the money, follow, when you the, follow money. the money. Yeah, amen. Well, Chris, I'll compromise with you. I like the idea of 20 weeks, but instead of 18 games, you want 16. I say 18. Let's do 17. Over 20 weeks, we'll call it a deal. Hey, done. I'll make the phone call when we get off. We'll see if we can make that happen. <laughs> Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, Twitter, Facebook, Landry Football. Great website if you are a football fanatic. Chris breaks it down college pro better than anybody else. Tons of information. His podcasts are fantastic. We'll continue with Chris and our NFL 2019 preview right around the corner. Football has arrived. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection for September is the Placencia Almadel Combo. This complex smoke is creamy with a touch of spice. The Placencia Almadel Combo has notes of coffee and nuts while leaving a lasting impression on your palate. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club.
1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar-making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The National Football League has officially kicked off its 100th season. Big lineup of games coming up Sunday. Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com joins us to break it down. Chris, before we go into the coaching changes and look at the individual uh, divisions, Antonio Brown, Drew Rosenhaus, agent, came out uh, yesterday and said that Antonio Brown wants a good relationship with the Raiders. I think Antonio Brown has worn out his welcome, not even, what, uh, really uh, before the, the season has even started. And I believe that uh, by probably next week, he will be gone from the Raiders. And I think they've got buyer's remorse. He is uh, between his football or his uh, helmet nonsense and then not showing up to practice, and then threatening uh, GM Mike Mayock. I think it's over in Oakland. I think they're done, and they're going to not have to pay him a, a cent. Well, I always, you know, in my career, it's always been, you know, a theory that when you are dealing with players and they're they're problematic at another place, there's always someone that thinks, I can change him, and very rarely can you change him. Um if you look at where he was, um, the Steelers are a very well-run organization. And they're not perfect. They don't win it every year. But how they treat players, how they respect one another, really good. So when he can't get along there and there are problems there, that is a big warning signal. But Raiders, you know, um, like they're, you know, smarter and we can do this. And, oh, man, what was the what was the uh, the tone? Oh, man, they stole him from the Steelers. I got to tell you, right. the, as good as he was, the Steelers were going to be prepared to just release him if they had to and eat the cap um, uh, ex, um, escalation and just go on with it. They instead got a couple of picks, not high picks, but they got something for him. And they say, good riddance. And as good as he was, we always say in, 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 the, in the football world, when the problem is greater than the production, then that's an indicator. So think about this. If you're a guy that is, you know, he's got a little bit of an issue, you know, is not bad, 
but he's you know he's a he's a pretty good player. So the seesaw's in favor of well, you know, the production and the problem are about the same. You get rid of a guy. How bad of a guy do you need to be as productive as this guy is? Because on the field, this guy's as good a receiver as there is in the league. And if they're willing to get rid of him in Pittsburgh, that tells you what type of problem you're getting into. So now you go into the Raiders where there's not a good front office structure. There's not a good line of communication, not as good of a team, not as good a discipline. Um, What do you think you're going to get? I mean, you're going to get an escalated problem where he's enabled to do even more of what he's done in the past. So, I think that they absolutely made a huge mistake, um, and it was I could see from early on, people were laughing about the helmet issue and all that. Yeah, it might have sounded comical. That's what he was. There's no doubt that he was trying to get out of work at training camp. That's a big part of what he wanted. Yeah, I know he's fighting on his helmet and all that. At the end. He got what he wanted anyway. They didn't acquiesce on the helmet. He's satisfied with the helmet. But, you know, he didn't have to practice. But are you going to find me? No, I mean, it is. That's this is what you're dealing with. So whether they decide to get past this and move forward, anybody thinks this is the last we've heard of the problems with the guy? Of course not. Well, I thought it was interesting that it came out that David Carr, the brother of Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, Thursday yes. night on the NFL Network <laughs> said the team captains met with Gruden earlier in the day to let him know they will back whatever the team decides on Brown. They said they supported him on the helmet. They supported him uh, and tried to defend him. But sooner or later, there comes a time when other players look and say, enough's enough. And I think when the captains met with Gruden saying, whatever you decide, we will move forward and we will support, that speaks volumes. Let's look at some of the head coaches, Chris. A lot of changes that uh, took place in 2019. Some interesting coaching changes. First up, the most fascinating one to me, the Arizona Cardinals bringing in former Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Well, they they think they've got a you know brilliant offensive mind that's going to kind of revolutionize with his quarterback of choice, and and uh, they think you know, and, and there is a lot of it. You certainly see it in Kansas City that uh, a lot of remnants in, in uh, college collegiate style of offense. Uh, so they think he could do that. I, I, you know, I wonder a little bit from a talent standpoint, if they're ready to do all the things that he would like to do. And I question whether Cliff is the ideal fit. If you want a, you know, brilliant offensive mind, but that is somebody that uh, the general manager, Steve Kime liked and had known for a while and kind of had his eye on. So we'll see how it'll work. It's one of the weaker rosters in the league. Kyler Murray is, an intriguing guy. I think it'll have some success early. I think the inability to be able to line up under center sometimes is going to hurt the overall structure of that offense. And it eventually, once defenses catch up to it, it'll be challenging. But we'll see. They'll get off and running against the Lions this week. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do with this offense. Uh, it, it's it's going to be quite intriguing. Okay, let's briefly look over some of the other head coaches. Uh, Cincinnati, former Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor. In 20 seconds, tell me what you think of him. Well, good quarterback coach. That's the direction people are going. Um, obviously trying to fix that. Uh, they're From a talent standpoint, they're fourth in that division. But he's a good young coach that can work with that offense. 
Cleveland Browns, former interim offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens, elevated to head coach. Everybody's now on the Cleveland bandwagon. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Baker Mayfield's going to be the next Hall of Famer. It's over. Lock it up. Give them the Vince Lombardi. Not so fast. I'm not convinced. Well, Freddie uh, did a really good job as a coordinator when he was promoted, when everything blew up last year, and he had a good relationship and good working relationship with Baker Mayfield and good working relationship with the general manager. That's why he got the job. They've got some talent. I still think the Steelers are the team to beat in the North, but I do think the Browns have enough talent to at least challenge for a playoff spot. Denver Broncos, former Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Well, I love Vic. He's put his dues. Gosh, I remember when he was a linebacker coach at the New Orleans for years in the 80s. I and mean, the guy's been doing it for a long time. Uh, it's good to see an elder statement get the job. It's going to be a really good defense. Joe Flacco, what can he give him at the quarterback position? That's going to be the variable that determines whether they're fourth or maybe challenging for the division. Uh, this is going to be a really good defensive team, though. Uh, two nights ago, we saw Green Bay Packers head coach, former Titans offensive coordinator, Matt LaFleur. Your initial thoughts? Well, you know, here's the thing about it, Matt. As again, most of these guys, we, Vic was not, but most of these guys here are offensive guys. And Matt is going to come in. Uh, we'll see how the offense really evolves. They've got a great quarterback that can do a lot of things. How much they change, how much freedom, that's a work in progress. But uh, the roster is good. We'll, we'll see how much better that offensive line and that defense will be throughout the course of the season. AFC East, interesting coaching changes. First up, the Dolphins get rid of Adam Gase. He goes to the Jets. The Dolphins bring in former Patriots defensive coordinator Brian Flores. Well, you know, the Dolphins with Flores, they're trying to do what a lot of people are doing. Let's pick somebody off the Belichick staff. Let's see how that works. Right. Well, we'll see. They're absolutely rebuilding in Miami. I think the moves that they've made uh, trading Laramie Tunzel over the past week is an indicator that they're trying to build up draft picks, try to do, change the culture, and try to be, rebuild the roster. Adam Gase is interesting. I think Adam is a really bright offensive mind, and he's got a really good quarterback. I think the Jets are an intriguing team. Um, they're, they've got some good players on their defensive front, not so much in the secondary. And I like Sam Donald a lot, but there are not a lot of playmakers around him. But I do think Adam Gase will do better things with Sam Donald than he did in Miami uh, because he's, he's got Donald. So I, I think it's going to be the Jets and, and your Bills that are going to be real interesting. Ironically, they play to see who can finish second in the division. Is I still don't think anybody's close enough to get the Patriots. Not so fast, Chris Landry. <laughs> Not so fast, my friend. We'll get to that I in knew a few that. seconds. I knew, I knew that would get the hour of you. I knew I've that got would a get different the cigar take. lit. That, that's right. I got a different take on that. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bring in former Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians, the quarterback whisker, uh, whisper, big season for Jameis Winston. This is it. This is his the final year of his contract, his rookie deal. I'm not convinced Jameis is going to be the guy. Well, I'm not either. I think that this is uh, certainly uh, another bite at the apple of, look, well, this is somebody that could fix him. If anybody can, Bruce has had really good success. Uh, also work in the vertical game, which uh, can be a strength of Jameis. And let's just call it what it is. Jason Light worked for uh, the Cardinals and, and knows Bruce, and they've got the connection. So the general manager who drafted Jameis, they're all kind of holding on together. You know, the interesting thing about this is what is the long-range plan in Tampa? You know, not only with the quarterback, where do, where do they go down the road? Is it with Jameis or not? Uh, is, is this Jason's last stand? 
Bruce Arians is not going to be coaching the Bucks for very long. I mean, no. he is he he's not is not one job that he's had as a head coach where he doesn't end up in the hospital. I mean, he's he's not of the health that's going to be there. I, I'm not saying it's going to be one and done, but you know, I I think it's fifty fifty on whether he's going to be there more than one year if they can get really? three years out of. Him. Well, yeah, because of his health. I mean, it's it's those issues. I think he wants to coach. I think he has plans to coach maybe three years. But that changes, you know, depending on how he feels at the end of the year and depending on how successful they are. So I think that is one of them that's curious. It's like they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle and hope they can spark things and then kind of figure it out on the run. Because if they can get three years out of Bruce, first of all, that would be awesome for Bruce to to maybe, you know, have the health be positive enough. But the way he coaches, how he coaches, it's going to be awfully tough to, to envision him being there three years. All right, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, our guest as we break down the NFL 2019 season. In our final and concluding segment just around the corner, we'll break down the divisions and give – Various predictions and prognostications. I'm just going to end it right here. My bills, they're going all the way. We'll wrap it up around the corner. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. Hi, I'm Rocky Patel. After 15 years of hard work, I'd like to introduce you to the Rocky Patel 15th Anniversary Cigar made at our factory in Esteli, Nicaragua. This cigar showcases a beautiful, oily Habano wrapper from Ecuador. Fillers from Esteli, Jalapa, and Condega make up a rich, complex, spicy taste with a lot of full flavor. The Decade, another one of our masterpieces. Made in Honduras, beautiful Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper with secret fillers. It received a 95 rating, one of the highest rated cigars ever in Cigar Aficionado. This medium to full bodied cigar is rich, complex, yet elegant and well balanced. 15 years ago, they thought we'd never make it in the business. 10 years ago, they thought we'd never last. Five years ago, they started paying attention. Now, we're right where we belong, in your hand. So enjoy the 15th anniversary and the decade these cigars will deliver. The selections in the Cigar Dave Officers Club receive rave reviews from our members. And for good reason. We send out fantastic cigars, the latest and greatest to our members, new cigars, unique cigars, incredible vertical samplers of cigars, and we have a great selection for September 2019. We are featuring the Placencia Alma del Campo. It is a beautiful Nicaraguan puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, filler, and binder. The wrapper is a beautiful milk chocolatey brown wrapper with some nice notes of cocoa, cedar, some beautiful notes of coffee. Your taste buds will absolutely love the Placencia Alma del Campo. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars every month. Three great cigars like the Placencia Alma del Campo sent directly to you. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join my Officers Club and enjoy great cigars.
Final segment as we look at the 2019 NFL season. We've got Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. You can follow Chris on Twitter, Facebook, LandryFootball, the handle. He does 20 different podcasts for NFL, college conferences, national uh, uh, football. So go to LandryFootball.com, subscribe, well worth it, phenomenal site. If you love football, football junkie, Chris has got the best site out there. By far, he breaks it down. Chris, let's break down each division. Let's look at the, we'll start off with the AFC East, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, New York Jets, New England Patriots. Let's face it, Tom Brady can't play forever. The Bills have done a nice job under Brandon Bean, the general manager, and, and, and Sean McDermott. They've really got some good draft capital. They've brought in some good players. I think a change is in the air in the AFC East. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. I will say that I still think until somebody beats him I, and his, until Brady steps aside or shows signs that he's not it, it's going to happen one year if we keep guessing it, right? I, I still think New England's the team to beat. I think Miami's the fourth team, and I think it's the Jets and the Bills uh, to fight it out. I do think both of those teams have a shot to be that sixth seed in the AFC. Uh, I, I believe that is possible because like a couple of years ago when the Bills made it, uh, maybe they weren't a playoff caliber team, but there were not six playoff caliber teams that year. I think that possibility that could be the case again this year. I like that. All right, AFC North, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, the Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Sergeant Steve is not going to like this, but you know you got to just go with the Steelers until proven otherwise. Yeah, I think the Steelers are the most complete team. I would give them an edge over Cleveland. I do think Cleveland could stay at the race. I do think Cleveland can um, challenge, and and who knows? I I think we're going to see a little drop-off with Baltimore. I don't think their defense is great, and I'm not convinced they're going to have enough of a passing game. And I'd probably put um, the the Bengals kind of right along with with Baltimore and um, kind of in that 3-4 spot. Let's go to the AFC South. Indianapolis Colts had a curveball thrown at them. Andrew Luck retired. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Houston, Texas, Tennessee Titans. I think the Texans have mortgaged their future. I think uh, that it's either this year or bust for their head coach. So, uh, to me, you still have to look. uh, To me, if it were, I I still like the uh, Jaguars, especially when they brought in uh, Nick Foles. You're really on top of it because that's exactly what the Texans have done. Because, I mean, I think they see, all right, look, that division's open. Luck's not there. Tennessee's trying to stabilize the quarterback situation. We don't know where that's going. Jacksonville, if they get good quarterback play, I like the roster. Uh, I'm not sure that the locker room is ideal. You know, we'll see there. I think the Texans see that. I think Bill O'Brien's future's at stake. There's no GM there. They've got a good quarterback finally. They've struggled on the offensive line. They've made the moves with that. They're getting older on defense. So I think the Texans are making a move. I think this is wide open. I would probably – I'm having a hard time between Houston and Jacksonville and Tennessee and Indianapolis, but I think – these teams are a little bit closer, and I don't think the Colts are like going to disappear like most people think, but I don't think they're going to be a contender. I'd probably go with would have gone with them if Andrew Luck was healthy and playing. Yeah, Brian Gain gets fired after one season with the Texans. They make the playoffs, 
and goes back to Buffalo. They brought him in as a special, I think, uh, mm-hmm. senior advisor scout, but well, well thought of by most everyone in the league. A very baffling move. Let's go to the AFC West. The Denver Broncos, San Diego Chargers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Oakland Raiders. First up, you got to give it to the Chiefs. They are the odds-on favorite. Patrick Mahomes, they've got some depth. Uh, the Broncos, I'm just not convinced Joe Flacco is going to be even a short-term answer at quarterback. They're still searching. Yeah, I, I like Kansas City coming out of training camp even more because the second-best team, I think, in that division are the Chargers, and it looks like they're going to be without Melvin Gordon this year. Uh, the Chiefs' offense is just fantastic. I'm curious to see what Steve Spagnuolo is going to do with the defense. But the Chargers have got a really solid roster, probably a playoff contender as a wild card. I'm with you on Denver. Love the defense. Just concerned about Flacco. Uh, I think they could be around that 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven mark, maybe sniff around playoffs. The Raiders, you know what, for all the chaos, they've got some good young players, but I still kind of look at them near the bottom overall as a roster in this division. All right, go to the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, Washington Redskins. To me, the Eagles look like the front runner. Giants in transition. The Redskins, who the hell knows? Cowboys, (laughs) who knows? But I think the Eagles, again, until proven otherwise, they've got to be the odds-on favorite. Got the best roster in the division. Carson Wentz stays healthy. That's key. Of course, they don't have Nick Foles now, four mentions with Jacksonville. Uh, if Carson Wentz goes down. He is a really upper-tier quarterback if he can stay healthy. I think the Eagles are a Super Bowl contender if he stays healthy. Dallas would probably be second. Um, The Giants have a little bit more roster questions, and I think the Redskins, from a young quarterback to trying to figure things out, they're really talented on the defensive line, but not a well-constructed overall roster. I think they're clearly fourth in their division. All right, AFC North, the Bears, the Lions, the Packers, the Vikings. We saw the Bears and the Packers. A lot of – it's a tight division. It could go either way. Uh, Vikings uh, seem to me could have a chance, but I just think right now the Packers have got to be at the top. Well, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, and the play the play around them is not as good as, say, Chicago and Minnesota, the overall roster, but those quarterbacks are not as good. So it makes it intriguing. Then you got the Lions, who I think are going to be better, but I'm not convinced they're going to get out of the, the basement in the division. We'll see. Uh, I still like the Bears overall. I think they are more complete, really good defensively, really good running game. I trust them a little bit more, but... I do recognize that if Aaron Rodgers can stay healthy for 14 weeks and they can figure some things out, uh, they're going to be right there. Minnesota, uh, the quarterback situation, it it may be enough to stay in the playoff race, but I don't see a repeat of a couple of years ago where they came awfully close to making the Super Bowl again. Okay, got a quick minute and 15 seconds. So NFC South, the Bucs, the Falcons, Panthers, Saints, I'm looking for the Saints. Yeah, they're the best team in the division. Stay healthy. I think Atlanta, if they can get back healthy off of last year, they are in contention. I think Carolina, if Cam can stay healthy, I think the Bucks are improved, but still the fourth uh, in terms of a roster look in that division. Now we go to the NFC West. We talked about the Arizona Cardinals, the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl appearance last year. The Seahawks have made some changes. The, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, question is, is Garoppolo healthy? Rams still have to be the front runners in the West. 
I, for, the one thing I know for certain, I feel comfortable in saying the Cardinals will finish fourth. I think the Rams will be challenged by the Seahawks, maybe give a slight edge to the Rams, but I think both of these teams are playoff caliber. And look out for the Niners. I think they are going to be improved. Obviously, if Garoppolo can stay healthy and the job that Kyle Shanahan does, I think they can be a team that straddles around 500, maybe a tad better. So I think they're three solid teams in the West. Chris, great having you on. As we get closer to the playoffs, we'll have you back on and we'll do a playoff prognostication and preview. Uh, We'd love to have you on. You're always a great guest. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. From the Landry Lab in Baton Rouge, Chris, can't wait to the season. Uh, the big game's on Sunday. My Bills, they're going to beat the Jets. Look out. I'm telling you, they're hey. going to win the division. Hey, good luck with that. I appreciate that. And always great to be with you and uh, talking football. Look forward to doing it again real soon. Chris, you are the best. We appreciate it. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. National Football League officially really kicks off tomorrow. I'll be front and center.